بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to place humanity on earth to be his khulafa, his, his representatives as we know in the story of Adam alayhi salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the angels inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa I'm going to place a khalifa or a representative on earth a reference to Adam alayhi salatu wasalam so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first created our father Adam alayhi salatu wasalam and Adam alayhi salatu wasalam was in Jannah for a very long period of time and as the story goes he felt very lonely after some time one day he fell asleep and he, he didn't understand what was this loneliness this was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created within him and he couldn't understand what was the cure for it either so he fell asleep and when he awoke he saw beside him a woman and he felt very connected to this person and so then he said to her that who are you and then she said I am your spouse I am your wife and so then that loneliness went away from Adam alayhi salatu and this was the cure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him for what he had felt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf in verse number 19 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Adam alayhi salam Stay in Jannah, you and your spouse And enjoy the fruits of Jannah Eat from wherever you like However, one rule was Do not approach this specific tree Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says لا تقرب هذه الشجرة There's a tree in Jannah Don't go next to that tree other than that, enjoy your life in Jannah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created Hawa alayhi salam. In Ibn Kathir and Tafsir al-Tabari, there is a quotation from Ibn Abbas, Ibn Mas'ud, and some other Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They said, أُخْرِجَ Iblis مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَأُسْكِنَ آدَمُ الْجَنَّةِ Iblis was taken out, taken out of Jannah and Adam alayhi salatu wasalam was given an abode in Jannah. فَكَانَ يَمْشِي فِيهَا مُسْتَوْحِشًا لَيْسَ لَهُ فِيهَا زَوْجٌ يَسْكُنُ إِلَيْهَا Adam would walk and stroll in Jannah but he felt lonely. He had no other partner with himself that would live with him in Jannah. He once took a nap. فَاسْتَيْقَضَ وَعِنْدَ رَأْسِهِمْ رَأَةٌ قَاعِدًا When he woke, he saw a woman by his head. خَلَقَهَ اللَّهُ مِنْ ضِلْعِهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created her from his rib. So from the rib of Adam alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created Hawa alayhi salam. And so Adam alayhi salam said, Man anti, who are you? She said, Imra'a, I'm a woman. And Adam alayhi salam said, Why were you created? Remember, this, there's no other human beings, there's no other people. So he's the first time he's seeing another human. And he says, What are you? And so she says, I'm a woman. 
It says, what, why were you created? What is your objective? So she says, لِتَسْكُنَ إِلَيْهِ So that you may feel sukoon, peace, comfort, and tranquility. فَقَالَتْ لَهُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ يَنْظُرُمْنَ مَا بَلَغَ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ The malaika, they wanted to test Adam Islam's ilm, so they said that Adam, مَسْمُهَا يَا Adam. Oh Adam, what is her name? Because they know that Adam والسلام, was given the gift of rationality, the ability to give names to things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that. وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the names of everything. So the angels are asking, what's her name? So he said, Hawa. Adam Islam, named her, he said, her name is Hawa. She didn't say her name was Hawa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't tell Adam Islam her name was Hawa. She said, I'm a woman. Adam Islam said, when questioned by the angels, he said, her name is Hawa. He named her. The angel said, why did you name her Hawa? Because she was created from something hay, something alive. So Adam said, okay, she was created from my rib. I'm something alive, create, I'm a creature from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And she was created from something alive, not something that was not alive, unlike Adam Adam was not created from something alive, he was created from nothing. So he said, her name is Hawa, as a uh, connection with the name Hay, which means alive. And also, Adam والسلام, was pointing towards the fact that she was the source of the removal of my grief, of my loneliness, of this wahsha, this feeling of being alone, this solitude that I had. She was the means of that leaving me. So she is the source of my life as well, my happiness. But she is created for me and she was created from something alive. So he named her Hawa. This is the first relationship of humanity. This is the relationship from when once we have come from. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shared with us in the Quran the whole story. But this was from Tafsir ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari. So what I wanted to discuss, inshallah, we last few khutbahs we were talking about relationships. This is a very important aspect in Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. He has created us for this purpose. Not just ibadah, but we also worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the relationships that we have. We display to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are serving you in all facets of our life. Whether that is physical ibadah, we're performing salah, giving from our wealth, fasting with our bodies, doing pilgrimage, whatever what physical ibadahs we have, that is one form. But another form is also to make all of our relationships subservient to the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ensuring that everything that I do, whether it is my ibadah, whether, whether it is my food intake, whether it is my output, what I'm doing on a daily basis, my occupation, or all of the relationships in my life, all of this must be in accordance to the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has to be regulated according to what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is what is ibadah. Ibadah is servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in essence, these relationships that we have, every single human being other than ourselves is a relationship. Right now, we all have a relationship. When we go home, there are many different relationships. When we go to work or we go to school or we go to our, you know, wherever we're going outside, there's many different facets, many different relationships, 
all of them have specific rulings, all of them have specific injunctions, if we observe them correctly, through those relationships, we will go closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a great opportunity. These relationships are an opportunity for us to get closer to Allah. And we're with people all the time. And if you look at it this way, every time we're with another person, this is an opportunity for me to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Whether that be a relative, whether that be a friend, or even a total stranger. All of these are opportunities that we can get closer to Allah. And that's why one of the a very major ibadah amongst, you know, is, amongst Muslims that we're taught by Rasulullah is called Putting happiness in the hearts of the believers. If you can make someone smile, this is an ibadah, and you have just gotten one step closer to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why I wanted to highlight some of the relationships that we go through or we have on a daily basis. And of course, the first one that we mentioned was that of the relationship between the child and the parent. And this is the most important relationship. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every time you hear about relationships in the Quran and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions parents, it's right after his own ibadah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah wa la bihi shay'a. Worship Allah, do not do shirk with Allah, those are the rights of Allah. Right after that, do good to your parents. So that's why we mentioned that first, and this is the most, uh, the deep, most deep relationship that we have with people. After that, however, is the relationship that is not a blood relationship, but it can be likened to a blood relationship. And oftentimes, even deeper than a blood relationship. And that is a relationship of ziwaj, of nikah, of marriage in Islam. So this is something that we have to really look after. Because if you notice, all of the major relationships in our lives, we have a great opportunity to earn reward with them. And we have a great danger as well, if we neglect the rights of those relationships, that we would displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We spoke about parents and saying that, you know, if, if you uh, serve your parents well, then Jannah is reserved for you. But if you displease your parents and they have legitimate reason to be upset with you, we're actually slamming the doors of Jannah. As Nabi says in a metaphor, that your father is your door to Jannah. And he says, Jannah is beneath the feet of your mother. So imagine there's this door that is your father. And then above that door is the feet of your mother. This is, this is what your Jannah is. Now if you disrespect your mother, those feet, that Jannah is beneath those feet, she's going to go away from you. If you disrespect your father, you're going to close that door. Now, after that, the relationship that we experience the most, that the people around us the most, are our spouses. And as I have mentioned before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created Hawa alayhi salam a gift to Adam alayhi salatu wasalam. And that relationship was a very strong relationship that they had. And we can see this throughout the, the different anbiya alayhi salatu wasalam in the Quran and how they treated their wives, what type of relationships they had. This is a lesson for all of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the universe, the creator of humanity, He tells us what is reality, what is true in the Quran itself. In Surah Al-Rum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, we don't have to philosophize, we don't have to think deeply, 
What is the purpose of marriage? Why should I get married? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already tells us in Surah Al-Rum verse 21. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ Very beautiful ayah in Surah Al-Rum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this passage, the siyaq or the context of this verse is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sharing with humanity all of the blessings that He has bestowed upon them. Iman, a'mal, guidance. Among those things, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how He has provided us with food, with water, with the beautiful surroundings we have. And then He also mentions this ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, among the signs that He is the Creator, among the signs that He has favored you and that you must turn to Him. What is the sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala itself? From you yourself, He has created your spouses. This is a reference to Adam Hawa was made from the rib of Adam From yourselves, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created azwaj and partners. For what reason? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it here. No need to look further. So that you may receive sukun, peace, tranquility from your spouses. This is the purpose of having a spouse. This is the purpose of the institution of nikah in Islam. Why we are so highly encouraged by the Quran, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to get married. So that you may receive sukun. So that you may feel peace. So that you may feel tranquil. And then in the ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً Not only is the institution of nikah itself a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence, this is an amazing thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made. If you ponder deeply enough, you will realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. This, this creation of Allah, this relationship that Allah has made, and the outcomes of this relationship can only come from the Creator itself. Another sign, He not only gave you a spouse, but he has also made within you mawadda wa rahma, love and compassion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you ponder deeply as we should, you know, the Quran, the hadith, Islam is always telling us, afala ta'aqilun, don't you think? Afala yatadabbarun, don't they ponder? Afala yatafakkarun, don't, don't they think deeply? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always wanting us, making exhortations for us to use our intellect, our minds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually condemns those who do not think properly, such as the mushrikeen, who are not thinking of what they worship. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, think properly. If you can think well enough, inshallah, you sit there, you ponder, you do tafakkur, and this is, we're highly encouraged to do this. Not just walk around and live our days, but look at everything around you and conclude that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made all of this. Another conclusion you will make, if you look at your relationship, on condition is it's a healthy relationship. Right? Not every relationship will have this. But on condition we are living Islam. That we are living the way Nabi Wasallam lived. If you look at your relationship with your spouse, you will see a miracle. What is this miracle? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He has made between you two, mawaddatan wa rahma. He has made love and compassion. Now if you think, this was a total stranger. And for many of us here, absolute strangers before nikah. 
right? as is usually the way in Islam, the absolute stranger. We don't know anything about them. Maybe we saw them once. Maybe we shared a word once. But nothing beyond that. There's no years and years of, of communication. But this total stranger, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can get you married to this person. And just after a very brief moment in time, sometimes a week, sometimes a month, maybe a year, but you will feel such an attachment to this individual that you will not even feel towards your relatives. And this is the power of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displaying His power before you that your emotions, your love, everything that you feel is within my control. You got married to this person and I have put in mawadda, rahma, compassion and love in your heart for this person. This is a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything in our lives will point towards the realization that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there if only we open our eyes and we open our hearts and we ponder deeply upon these relationships that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us. It's a true ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't have to do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't have to. Right? If you look at, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, worms are uh, asexual. They just reproduce on their, themselves. They just, you can split them in half and they'll, they'll make two of them, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, some other creatures, they don't require partners to, uh, you know, to, to reproduce. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, He could do the same thing with human beings. You could just go to sleep and then the next morning you see another one of you next to you in bed. That'd be kind of strange, but Allah could do that if He wanted to. So there is a hikmah for why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this system. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-hakim, He's wise. Why did He do this? We need to ponder why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted us with this relationship. And each nikah is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should see it that way. And not just us, but both partners. Should see it that way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of the verse, Inna fi yatafakkarun. Indeed, in this, the making of the system of nikah, the giving, the ni'mah of mawadda and rahmah, of love and compassion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, in this are many signs. Inna fi The plural of ayah. Ayah is one sign. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says there's many, many signs in this relationship that you have. يتفكرون, for a people who will think deeply on it. Now, if we just get married and we just live every single day, whatever, you know, go through the motions of life, you're not going to receive this ni'mah of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through that relationship. Which is a purpose. Allah has given us this nikah, this, this marriage for those of us who are married. He has given us this so we can get closer to Him as well. But this, is only, this only will happen if we think. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, this is a sign for those who will ponder deeply. So we need to ponder. So, what type of tranquility is mentioned in this verse? And when we're talking about pondering over Qur'an, of course, we turn to the tafsir. The scholars of tafsir have done exactly this. Their job is to look at every word of the Qur'an and try to understand the depth of it. And that's what they have left behind for us. We have hundreds of tafsirs, alhamdulillah, talking about the different ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and elucidating their ma'ani. So what is this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying? In the verse itself that I have recited before you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, among His signs is that He has created nikah, that He has created partners for you. 
لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا So that you may receive sukun, peace and tranquility. What type of sukun though? There's many different types of sukun. There's physical sukun, physical comfort. There's spiritual comfort as well. There's emotional comfort, there's mental comfort. What is mentioned here in the verse? Imam al-Razi rahimahullah is a great scholar. He passed away in 606 Hijri. He wrote one of the largest commentaries of the Qur'an. Mafatihul uh, Ghaib. He named it the keys to the unseen. But it's more famously known as Tafsir al-Kabir, the grand tafsir. So he says here, يُقَالُ سَكَنَ إِلَيْهِ لِسُّكُونِ الْقَلْبِ وَيُقَالُ سَكَنَ عِنْدَهُ لِسُّكُونِ الْجِسْمَانِ لِأَنَّ كَلِمَةَ عِنْدَ جَاءَتْ لِغَرْفِ الْمَكَانِ وَذَلِكَ لِلْأَجْسَامِ وَإِلَى لِلْغَايَةِ وَهِيَ لِلْقُلُوبِ So he, he's defining what is being said here. And look at the analysis of the, the Mufassirin. They were, and, and one thing in, in scholarship, in Islamic scholarship, a person will only do a tafsir of the Qur'an after they've mastered every other field. Because Qur'an is the only field that requires every other field in Islam that you be a master of that before you do a tafsir. So he's looking at it in terms of the linguistic value. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا This word ila is used. So that you may receive tranquility through your spouse. Imam al-Razi says, in Arabic you can say sukun and use the, the particle ila, or you can use inda. They both mean the same thing, ila and inda. But in the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using ila. And he says when you use ila, it gives a different nuance to the word sukun. When you use sukun and you use the particle ila after it, it means the peace of the heart. And when you use sukun and you use inda after it, it means the peace of the body. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the ayah basically that you are going to receive a sukun, a peace and tranquility inshallah through your nikah of the heart. And this is very important because the heart is, is the reality of a person. This is what we really are. We are the condition of our hearts. And that is why Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, he says, Every single person on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is going to be disturbed, perturbed in a difficult situation. Except for the one whose heart is pure. Because the heart is the essence. Here Imam Razi is saying in the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, through nikah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you peace of heart, inshaAllah. And this supersedes the peace that we get in our minds, in our bodies, in our emotion. Because if you have peace of heart, you have all of those anyway. If we have peace of heart in our nikah, in our lives with our spouses, Allah will also bless us with emotional love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also bless us with intellectual love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also bless us with physical love. All of these will come if we have the sukoon and comfort of the heart. Another you know, linguistic value aspect of the word sukun. Sukun means literally to pause. Right? Haraka, you know, those of you who have studied tajweed, the science of tajweed, you have the haraka, the fatha, dhamma, kasra. These are called harakas. And in Arabic, haraka means to move. Right? I think in other languages also use the word haraka for movement. Sukun is the opposite of haraka. Even in tajweed, when you don't have a haraka, you have a little circle, you're not supposed to read any type of Fatha, Dhamma, Kasra, that's called Sukun. 
You don't, you don't move at all. So sukun means the lack of movement. In other words, in our context, it means tranquility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that sukun is the lack of movement. What does this imply? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that so that you can have sukun towards your spouses. This also implies that during the day you're not going to be at home. So men and women also in today's time, but men usually, you're going to go out, you're going to work, you're going to do movement. And the Nisa are also going to do their movements. They're going to work. But when you return home, there is the lack of movement now. Home is also called maskan, very interestingly. In Arabic, the same root word, sakana, or to be tranquil, is used for the house, maskan. Do you notice maskan, sakana is there? And sukun that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in the, in the verse that we're supposed to get sukun through our partners is also tranquility. What does this mean? You come home to the maskan, the place where you're supposed to have sukun, and you receive sukun through your spouses, right? And it doesn't mean that you can't physically move in the house. Of course, you're going to have different work at house at the house as well. But what it means is you're going to be going through a lot of difficulty when you're outside at work, a lot of mental fatigue, a lot of physical fatigue, things that are causing you worry, anxiety, difficulty. The purpose of a healthy nikah, a good nikah, is that when you come home, you can put that all aside. You can feel comfortable. You can let go of all of that and you can rejuvenate yourself. You can reinvigorate yourself so that you can go back tomorrow and do it again and go to that difficulty again. So this is the purpose that we, we should aim to have this in our nikah. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this. Now it's really sad to see in, in many of our homes, that when we return home, it's, there's no sukun. Rather, our house is a war zone. We come home and there's even more fatigue. There's even more stress. There's even more anxiety when we come home. And this is the opposite of what Allah wants from our, our nikah. Allah has given us the nikah so we can have sukun. As He is saying in the ayah. So there's something wrong if that is the case. If that is not the case, then we have to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As He says, These people will think deeply and it will lead to gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving them this gift. But if we don't have this gift, there are many things that we are supposed to do inshallah. In the next few khutbahs we'll discuss what we should do in the light of Qur'an and hadith. Also in the ayah, it's a very beautiful ayah, there's much to say about the ayah itself. So I was discussing the word sukun in the ayah. There's another two words mentioned in the ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً He has made between spouses, two words are used, mawadda, which is love, and rahma, which is compassion, mercy, kindness. Now why are these two mentioned? <laughs> Imam al-Razi, rahimahullah, again, he says, فَالْمَوَدَّةً تَكُونُ أَوَّلًا ثُمَّ إِنَّهَا تُفْضِي إِلَى الرَّحْمَةً In the beginning of a nikah, a person will have more mawadda, which is love. Later on, this will develop into rahma itself. وَلِهَذَا فَإِنَّ الزَّوْجَةً قَدْ تَخْرُجُ عَنْ مَحَلِّ الشَّهْوَةً بِكِبَرٌ أَوْ مَرَضٌ وَيَبْقَى قِيَامُ الزَّوْجِ بِهَا وَبِالْعَكْسِ So he says, you'll often see a couple in the very beginning, their attitude towards one another is, is very amicable, is very good, and they just want to be alone together. But as they develop and as they grow older together, there is a stronger connection that is formed. 
scholars in tafsir mention what is the significance of this it seems on the outset that these are synonymous mawadda and rahma they're, they're the same thing but why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention two different adjectives and have no point behind it there's definitely a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these two so a few tafsirs I'll give you three inshallah the first is as Imam al-Razi said in the very beginning when a person gets married everything's new they're very busy with getting to know one another and so that is the stage of mawadda and as people will say this is the honeymoon phase where a person is just trying to get to know their spouse and there's a few years can go like this but eventually that will cool down but what happens later on is that develops even further and yes you may see couples arguing and sometimes you know for the lack of a better word bickering with one another but if they are to separate from one another for a week they won't be able to sleep if you look at our, our parents right sometimes you see and you will make this this statement that no my parents are never happy they can't stand one another that's when they're together but if one was to be away from the other and then you look at them you will see how perturbed they are they won't be able to sleep at night and that is because they're not at the stage of muwadda anymore they're not at the stage of that that inseparable love but they've trust you know transversed that or traversed that and transcended that and now they're at a level of rahma and compassion where where they complement each other's life and they cannot live without one another and that's why you see sometimes elderly couples one person passes away very soon the other spouse will pass away this is because that that love will not allow them to live without one another so that is one tafsir of why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions mawadda wa rahma in the beginning it's mawadda but it becomes something more later on and this is real mercy and this is a sifa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even is, is called ar-rahim he has rahma to a, a you know incomparable degree but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to feel this so that we can also think how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is upon me another tafsir is this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two things he says he has created between you mawadda and rahma love and compassion love is when things are going well finances are going great everyone's doing well everyone's happy we're going on vacations together there's plenty of time to spend together everyone's happy that's mawadda you want to spend time together but that is not the test of a true relationship this is not how you can tell a couple is truly happy that they're going through a good stage you can tell when a couple is really doing well when they're going through a tough time they're going through a rough patch but still they're 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 getting along even then and this is what is rahma this is a higher degree than just love it's even though everything is going against me even though this person is annoying me even though everything in my life is is making me anxious and worried you still have enough love for that person that you are merciful towards them and they are merc- merciful towards you so this is another reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says mawadda wa rahma and this is also seen in the dua of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam there's a hadith in Sunan Abi Dawood. Kana idha raffa al-insana idha tazawaj qal Barakallahu laka wa baraka alayk wa jama'a baynakuma fi khair. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would congratulate someone upon a nikah, he would make this dua, special masnoon dua when a person gets married. 
Barakallahu laka. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you barakah. Wa baraka alayka. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you barakah. I'll explain why he's mentioned it twice. Wa jama'a baynakuma fi khair. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join you in goodness. This was, excuse me, the masnoon dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This is very beautiful in the, the Arabic, very eloquent speech of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He says, barakallahu laka. Again, the particle, the lam is used. Wa baraka alayka. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you barakah when things are going well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you blessings and barakah when things are not going well. And may He join you two together in khair and goodness and Islam. So this is the dua of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In the very beginning when the couple first gets married, he's given them an ishara indication. You may have, you know, feel like your marriage is going to be perfect, but there are going to be some difficulties coming up. Nabi sallallahu is indicating towards that by saying baraka alayk. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you baraka in difficult times as well. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has truly blessed us, uh, those who have been given a spouse, those who have yet to get married, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant them such a spouse that will give them a, a very high level of yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us, through each one of our relationships, He wants us to reconnect with Him, to ponder upon the essence of that relationship it's, itself, and conclude that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that made this, and really make us grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what He has given us. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give barakah in everyone's nikah. Inshallah, in the next coming weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about more specific aspects of the nikah, how to observe the rights of the spouses. And that's what we really need to know in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who are not married to give them a suitable spouse, one that is perfect for them, and one that will supersede this dunya itself and will go into the akhirah. It's the only relationship really that will still stay with you in the akhirah, inshaAllah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Salatu wassalamu ala Sayyidil Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammad Wa ala ala Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammad Wa barik wa sallim Amma ba'd Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Last week, Alhamdulillah, we began the discussion talking about the rights that we have upon us, rights that we owe others. Previously, we were speaking about the rights of parents, and inshallah, after the rights of parents, the most important right that we have to fulfill of someone else is that of our spouses. Those of us who are married, through the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have along with a huge ni'mah, which is, our spouses, they're a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a huge responsibility as well. As is known in, in dunya, you cannot enjoy something without suffering the repercussions of that as well. And in Arabic, this is called al-ghunmu bil-ghurm, is a famous a maxim and, and a principle in fiqh or jurisprudence. Whenever a person is to benefit from something, they are also responsible over that thing. So each one of us, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with the nikah, 
and as was mentioned and what we will see through the uh, the Quran and the Hadith nikah is a huge blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but just as this is a huge blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala equally there are many places where we can earn the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we fail to observe the rights of our spouses and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us in one hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Inna dunya hulwatun khadira Wa inna allaha mustakhlifukum fiha fayanzura kayfa ta'maloon Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in this portion of the hadith The dunya was created beautiful and green Green, luscious, enjoyable It was created as something that you will find yourselves inclining towards and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent you to the dunya to see how you react. To see what is your ability to cope with these desires and the fact that you cannot fulfill all of your desires. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you. He's, he's watching to see what you do. Every step we take, every thought that we think, every action that we do, every statement that we say, all of this is being observed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not only is it being observed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also recording all of this. And there will come a day when this recording, when, when, when everything that is written down in our books will be presented to us. So, although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us ni'mas, blessings, remember the fact that dunya is not our permanent abode. And if dunya is not our permanent abode, then what is the dunya? It's not paradise. This dunya is not our paradise. Rather, this dunya is the test of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeing how we behave, what we do in this dunya. And every single relationship that we have, whether that is our primary relationship, that is between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or secondary relationships, that is our relationship with the creation of Allah our parents, our spouses, our children, our friends and family. In every one of these relationships, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching how we behave, what we do, the things we say, the reactions that we incur, that we do. And so, nikah is no less. This is a, a blessing from Allah, of course. But this is also a huge responsibility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Rum, this is the ayah we spoke of last week, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا The purpose of marriage is mentioned in this ayah, Surah Al-Rum, verse 21, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Among the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your creator, if you ponder upon these following things, you will conclude that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. Among them is that He has created from among you spouses, partners, azwaj, so that you may attain sukoon, peace and comfort from them. And so in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly tells us what is supposed to be the objective behind nikah, what is the objective of this whole institution of nikah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And I mentioned last week that there are some creatures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created that can reproduce without the need of another being. They, they, they are asexual, they can just reproduce. So the fact is that if Allah wanted, He could have created insan such that they can reproduce on their own. 
But he didn't do that. And in another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the best of his creation is insan. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam." We have given nobility to the children of Adam alayhi salatu meaning humanity. Allah has given nobility to them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them in the highest of, of, of features. And as such, every part of a human being has some benefit to it. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create as such that we require nikah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayah, You will have sukoon, peace and comfort through this. So from this verse, we can realize that nikah is a, a ni'mah from Allah. He's giving us nikah so that we may achieve tranquility, peace and comfort. This is a ni'mah from Allah. وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created between you and your spouses love and compassion. This is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given as a favor to humanity. Because humanity is the highest level of, uh, you know, enjoys the highest level of nobility. No other animal has this institution of nikah. Yes, animals reproduce, but animals do not have nikah. They don't get married. This is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created within humanity. Indeed, in this one aspect, there are many signs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ayah, in one thing, which is nikah, not in other things as well. There's many other in the, in the context of this ayah, Surah Turum. There are many other ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, starts these ayat with, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ Among the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence and His favor among you are these many different things. You guys can... Inshallah, look at that in the beginning of Surah Turum, around this is verse 21, but around it before and after, many ayah talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's signs. But in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in this nikah itself, there are ayat, many signs, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your creator. So what is our responsibility? The Quran tells us something in, in general, the responsibility of the believers is to look and investigate the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in another ayah, Quran. This, this ayah comes twice in the Qur'an. Do they not ponder deeply over the Qur'an? It's, it's, it's an exhortation by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us to look into the Qur'an, to investigate, to derive the pearls and gems from the Qur'an. It's definitely there. How do we do this? We look at the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu We look at the ahadith. What does he have to say about this? And we also use our intellect. This is how we engage with the Qur'an. The Qur'an is telling us, look deeply into it. For example, the Qur'an talks about salah. Do we find any aspect in the, in the Qur'an talking about how to do ruku', how to do sujood? What is the tashahud? We don't find that in the Qur'an. The tashahud is not mentioned in the Qur'an. This is mentioned in the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So the Qur'an is telling us, establish the prayer, perform your salah. <coughs> the Qur'an also talks about salatul jumu'ah. But the details of salatul jumu'ah, that's not in the Qur'an. That's in the hadith. And the scholars look deeply into that and then derive the rulings from there. Similarly, in every aspect, such as nikah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, look deeply into it. You will find many signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence when you ponder over this ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah, I wanted to share some ahadith, some verses 
where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where Rasulullah speaks of this great ni'mah. Oftentimes we find ourselves with a great ni'mah, we have no idea of how to take care of that ni'mah. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us something great, but there comes a responsibility with that. In the time of Umar radiallahu anhu, he would not allow people to engage in business until they learn the fiqh of business. Right? In the time when Umar radiallahu anhu was a khalifa, if a person wanted to do buyur, which is transactions, they could not engage in that. It was like a license that they had to have, a business license, like we have in today's time. But part of that business license was they would have to learn the rulings of riba, they would have to learn the rulings of what is permissible, what is impermissible, look at the hadith, look, look at the Qur'an, sit with the scholars. And once they understood that entire sector, they were allowed to engage in business. Not before that. But oftentimes in today's time, we, we want to engage in business and guess what happens? We're engaged in riba very quickly. We're engaged in haram very quickly. We're engaged in buying, selling alcohol very quickly. Why? Because we do not follow these protocols. These protocols are not put in place. And this is why they were put in place. Similarly, we also engage in nikah. But we do not know the rulings of nikah. We do not understand how to take care of that responsibility. And that's all of us. So this is a something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Rasulullah highly stresses. In the Quran itself, in Surah Al-Baqarah, there's pages of divorce law. In the Quran, the Quran is not just about spirituality. It's about every aspect of a person's life. There's maybe almost five pages in Surah Al-Baqarah. Out of the 600 pages in the Quran, almost five just in Surah Al-Baqarah talking about nikah, divorce law, things of that nature. We have to be cognizant and aware of these if we're going to engage in, in nikah. This is our responsibility. This is what is considered fiqh. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has, has, has passed on to us. And we are the, the inheritors of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Mainly the ulama, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. But we are his ummah. We need to uphold the standard that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has given us. In another ayah in Surah Al-A'raf, coming back to the topic, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says in verse 189, Surah Al-A'raf, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is the one who has created you from one being. This is the story of creation that we understand. We all came from one individual, Adam alayhi salatu wasalam. وَجَعَلَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا And from him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made his partner. And in the last khutbah I discussed the story behind Hawa alayhi salam, how Adam alayhi salatu wasalam found her in Jannah and how he also gave her name, which is mentioned in Tafsir Ibn Kathir as well as At-Tabari. So in this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, He is the one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's recounting the favors that He has blessed us with. He created you all, Humanity from one soul, from one Adam alayhi salam. And from him he had also created his spouse. لِيَسْكُنَ إِلَيْهَا So Adam alayhi salatu wasalam could receive sukoon, peace and tranquility from his spouse. Again, the purpose of nikah is highlighted in this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have this blessing so that we can have this reward of sukoon. And like I, I, I highlighted last week, if we're not having sukoon from our nikah, we should understand that something is wrong. If I come home and my life at home is worse than my life outside, 
if I'm unable to achieve peace and tranquility in my home because my nikah is so messed up, then there's something wrong. I did not get the, the, the maqsad, the purpose of, of nikah itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the purpose is sukun. Then in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is very similar to Surah Turum so far, but the rest of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا تَغَشَّاهَا حَمَلَتْ حَمْلًا خَفِيفًا فَمَرَّتْ بِي This couple, when they got married, and they were united, then the spouse, the wife, eventually carried a load, carried a burden, the Qur'an says. A reference to having, carrying a child. حَمْلًا خَفِيفًا In the beginning, it was, it was very small. A small burden, not very difficult to take care of. فَمَرَّتْ She continued on her way. فَلَمَّا أَثْقَلَتْ But eventually she became very heavy. This burden became even heavier and heavier. And then the, 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 the spouses are saying this. دَعَوَ اللَّهَ رَبَّهُمَا What did this couple do when they were in this situation? And so the wife became pregnant. What did the couple do? They both made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They called out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their Lord. If you grant us a healthy, pious, good offspring, then we will indeed be amongst those who show thanks. This is the sentiment of every couple. Every, every Muslim couple should have this, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning. And some Mufassirin say this is a reference to Adam alayhi salatu specifically. Some say that this is humanity in, in general. This is what happens. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a union between two individuals. That is a very strong bond, stronger than any family bond. And thereafter, when they're expecting, they go through many different emotional stages. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, not only is the purpose of nikah tranquility and peace, but there's also another benefit. There is the increase in the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The increase of the muwahideen, those who will profess to tawheed. This is a huge ibadah. Imagine you yourself, the greatest ibadah that we all are doing, all the time. Whether you're sleeping, whether you're awake, whether you're at work, whether you're upset, whether you're happy, you are in a state of ibadah because you always have iman in your heart. This is the greatest ibadah. Imagine how great that ibadah is. When you, you are a means of another person accepting Islam. That's a huge means of, of ibadah. And imagine how great it is when you raise up another Muslim. You have a child and you're raising this child up with iman, with taqwa. This is huge. This is like your own iman is being multiplied. And the rewards are going to be exponential. So this couple, coming back to the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us that marriage is a partnership. It's not one-sided. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say the male made dua to Allah. Nor does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say only the, the wife who is pregnant, she made dua to Allah. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? When the union was made and they're expecting, they both called unto their Lord. This ayah is indicating towards the fact that we should do ibadah together as well. When we are a couple, we should engage in ibadah together. We should make dua together. It's not that only in some aspects that we have this partnership in all aspects, even in our Islam itself, our religion, our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it must be formed with this union. And this is why nikah is so important. 
we will be on the level of our spouse. Or our spouses will be on our level, inshallah. And this is another benefit of nikah, that if I am weaker in my iman, my spouse will lift me up. And if my spouse is weaker in iman, I will lift them up. And we will make dua together, and we will be a means of bringing more tawheed into this world. We will be a means of spreading this deen in the land, inshallah. So there's so many benefits in this one verse itself. This verse also highlights something. It, it highlights the physical aspect of nikah, the union, the physical union that took place. It highlights the emotional aspect of nikah. They, they, they became worried. The, the wife became pregnant. She's expecting. Now they're worried. They want to know, are we going to have pious offspring? What is going to be the condition of my children? Ya'qub alayhi salatu wasalam. We understand. If we want to look at the ideal parents, look at the parents who were anbiya. Look at Ibrahim alayhi salam and his relationship to his children. Look at Ya'qub alayhi salam and his relationship to his children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us these paradigms, these examples, these individuals in the Quran. How to react, how to behave in that specific situation. Ya'qub alayhi salatu wasalam, who is also called Israel. You know, Banu Israel are the children of Israel, who is Ya'qub alayhi salatu wasalam. He is the grandson of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. From Ishaq alayhi salam. When Ya'qub alayhi salam was on his deathbed, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, his last wasiyah, his, his advice to his children was what? Remember, we had, he has 11 children. They became Banu Israel. Amongst them is Yusuf alayhi salam as well. The Yahud, the Nasara, they all come from this <coughs> progeny, this line of Anbiya. His parting advice to his children is, La tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Promise me, he's on his deathbed, he's breathing his last, a Nabi of Allah. He's talking to his children. As he's dying, he's saying the last thing, promise me that you will die. He's not saying carry out this, this, uh, this will of mine, buy this estate, sell that estate, make sure this person gets this much money, make sure that other relative of ours gets this estate. Nothing regarding the dunya. The last advice, make sure when you die, Promise me you'll die with Iman. Promise me you will not die other than the fact that you will be a Muslim. This was his concern. And scholars say this is why he was so worried about Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam. Ya'qub alayhi salam became blind because he cried so much over Yusuf alayhi salam. Because he was worried, will my son retain his Iman? Where is he? What is happening to him? This was the fervor and the, the zeal of the Anbiya. So when we are put in, this sh in, in these shoes. What are we doing to ensure that the next generation will have this iman? Are we connected to the dunya and just worried about this estate and that estate or what will happen to my uh, money when, I'm past, when I've passed? Or are we worried about what is my progeny going to do? Is this lineage going to continue with iman or not? Because this is our true investment. If you truly look at it, this is our true investment. In the akhirah, what we want to see is people that we don't even know, but they're our descendants. And they're all saying, La ilaha illallah. We want that in our book of deeds. That is going to be more valuable than any monetary thing, anything in the dunya itself. So this is the fervor of the Anbiya alayhi salatu So the, coming back to the verse, I know I'm going around a lot. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again is saying that He is the one who has created you. And from you, He has created your spouses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had determined that you will be married to your spouse. This was already written before we were created. 
that we are going to be married to this person. And when that union took place and they were expecting, what did they do together? They made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were worried about their progeny. They were worried about the spreading of iman. Will they be able to uphold this huge responsibility? And it is. Unfortunately, we see everyone around us and we begin to think it's a light thing. It's a huge responsibility. And so they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with this fervor in mind. When it came close to the due date, they're making dua. They both made dua to Allah. Oh Allah, if you give us a salih. And this word salih has many meanings. One is a healthy child. Salih also means righteous child. They're making dua for a healthy, righteous child. One that will have iman. One that will carry the message of Allah. They didn't ask for a wealthy child. They didn't ask for anything else. Health, iman, and health. That's what they asked for. And if you do that for us, indeed we'll be amongst those who show shukr and thanks. So again, this, this verse, this one verse is highlighting the physical aspect of nikah. The emotional aspect. Connection with spouses. Making dua together. The spiritual facet. <clears throat> connecting with Allah together. Making, you know, performing salat to tahajjud together, dua together. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. This is not something, uh, you know, that, that the Western world is teaching us to be romantic even in our spirituality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ayah, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together. The nawafil ibadah we can do together as, as a couple. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, هُنَّ لِبَاسٌ لَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لِبَاسٌ لَهُنْ this is a, a, a metaphor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using. Your spouses are a garment for you as you are a garment for them. Hunna libasun lakum antum libasun lahun. Libas meaning garment. So our spouses are garments for us and we are garments for them. I have seven different reasons why this metaphor is made. I don't know if we can retain all of that. I'll share them inshallah. Number one. I'm just going to examine the ayah, inshallah. I'd like to take my time, inshallah, and then next week we'll continue even more. I have many other ahadith as well. So number one, garments are a cover for one's body and necessary for daily life. Every one of us understands this. It's a very simple point. We need our clothing. We cannot exit the house without them. We cannot appear in front of anyone without them. It's shameful without having garments. So we need to have our clothing it's necessary for daily life. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is comparing the two. He's saying you are your spouse's clothes and they are your clothes. This is very important that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this in the Quran, a very deep metaphor. Just like we need our clothing for daily life, we need our spouses for daily life. We cannot survive without them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us. This is a, a successful nikah. When a nikah is successful, a spouse cannot live without the other spouse. And like I mentioned before, some elderly couples, you will see, when one of them passes away, the other one quickly passes away after that. That is because the trauma that, that took place in their heart could not allow them to live further. Number two, garments are a source of protection from harsh weather. Right? We wear certain clothes in the winter, we have more layers. In the summer, less. We dress accordingly. If someone just walked in right now with a huge jacket and you know a fur hoodie, then everyone's going to look at them very strangely because they're not dressing accordingly. Similarly, if it's in the middle of uh, January and someone comes in with a tank top, 
we're all going to be just staring at the person or, you know, in amazement maybe. Maybe they have a, a lot of heat exuding from their body. But they're not dressing accordingly. Similarly, our, our spouses are a protection. When we have the proper spouse and when we are treating them properly as well, we, this, this harmony creates protection. Protection from what? Our chastity is protected. Our nazar, our gaze is protected from looking at what is haram. Our tongue is protected from speaking to those individuals that we shouldn't speak to, to engaging with those individuals that we shouldn't engage to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting us in that manner. Number three, our clothing, we, we usually protect our clothing from being worn out or dirty. Again, if someone is wearing very dirty clothing, filthy clothing, then it's going to be embarrassing for them. Similarly, what do spouses do? And this is very important. Oftentimes, we, we find ourselves doing the opposite. Is that we protect the honor and dignity of our spouse. We always seek to protect their faults. We are the bearers of their secrets. And we protect their faults. Just like we would protect our own clothing from being dirty. We don't let anyone else see those faults. It's really important that we do that. The fourth comparison is that garments are intimate. They're very close. They, they, they literally hug our body as long as they're with us. So similarly, spouses are very close. And this is a, a, a and like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ayah, this is a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator. That he can take two individuals who have nothing to do with each other. They didn't know each other. They're not related. He gets them into this union and that bond that is formed within a very short period of time is greater even sometimes than the bond of parents. And that's why many people struggle when they get married to give the rights to the parents as well and to the spouse because a lot of the heart is going towards their spouse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the, he, he is showing us he's the muqallibul qulub. He's the one that turns your heart the way he wants. And that's why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would treat all of his wives justly. And after doing that, after giving them each the, the same amount of time, that's what was in his control and his power. He would spend one night with a different spouse. And this is a must. If someone has more than one spouse, they have to be equal in, in, in that uh, distribution. So Nabi Wasallam would make a dua, Oh Allah, I am doing what I have in my power. As for what is not in my power, where my heart leans towards. And he's referring to Aisha radiallahu anha. Aisha radiallahu anha was most beloved to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So more of his heart was going towards her. So he would make dua, oh Allah, I am trying to distribute accordingly, but you control my heart. I cannot control this. So then the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that it's amongst the signs that Allah is the creator, that you who possess your own heart have no control over it. This is a sign that he is the creator. So again, garments are intimate and the relationship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates between spouses is a very precious and intimate thing. Number five, when shopping for clothes, people look for the best clothes that suit them. Right? So if we, if we wear clothing that's extremely small, then we're also going to get looks and stares. If we wear clothing that is extremely long, it's not going to make any sense. We have to wear clothing that fits our bodies and also clothes that are suitable. Similarly, when we are looking for a spouse, we look for certain attributes. Inshallah, another time we can talk about what attributes to look for in, in a spouse. For most of the people here are married, so those of 
you who aren't, we can discuss that in another time, inshallah. We actually have uh, intensives for uh, nikah, usually in February, uh, just for the season. Inshallah, we can speak about it then. So that's number five. Number six, how are spouses, how are we clothing for our spouses? This is, we're talking about the ayah. People feel a sense of happiness from their clothes. It improves their self-esteem. Right? When we wear clothing, many times we look at ourselves in the mirror, inshallah, and we're happy about that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with looking at yourself in the mirror after you put on good clothes, inshallah, and smiling at yourself. Some people even talk to themselves. That's your decision if you want to do that. But what Rasulullah would do is he would talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he would look at himself in the mirror, he would make a dua. We should all learn this dua. Allahumma hassanta khalqi fa hassin khuluqi. Oh Allah, you've made me physically beautiful. All of us are physically beautiful. You might not feel that way, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created you in a very beautiful manner. Maybe not in the sense that we might think, okay, I'm not so beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made your form as a human, you're better than all of the creations. Our head is upward. Our mind, the, the source of our intellect is upward. Instead of other animals whose head is below. Anyway, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa made this dua. Oh Allah, you've made me physically handsome and beautiful. فَحَسِّنْ خُلُقِي So make my inward character and my akhlaq even more beautiful. This is the dua. This is what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa would say when he would look into a mirror. So each one of us, we become happy when we wear good clothing. And it boosts our self-esteem. This should be the condition between us and our spouses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you are clothing for your spouses. Your spouses are clothing for you. They should be a source of boosting your morale, boosting your self-esteem, inshallah. And finally, the last thing, clothing makes a person beautiful. We, we are beautified by our clothing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this ni'mah. Again, separating us from all of the other creations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us very creative and makes us very beautiful in the clothing that we wear. Similarly, our spouses are those who bring out the best qualities within us. They are ones who will see the good qualities, speak about them, extract them, make them more flourished in us. And like we mentioned before, they will hide the bad qualities. This is a, f- a few different aspects of the ayah itself. There's many other hikmas, wisdoms behind the ayah. So, you know, if we look at the books of tafsir, inshallah, we will come across many of them. Now, I'll continue and inshallah continue next week about this, but I'll, I'll start another uh, portion. I want to talk about the benefits of nikah. I've already alluded to many of them, but what is mentioned in the hadith? I want to mention three benefits of nikah itself. So for those of us who want to be amongst the Uzzab, the Uzzab are those who, who don't want to get married. That's fine. There are many people in the past who, who didn't get married. There's a, actually a book, Al-Ulama Al-Uzzab, the, the scholars who never got married. So Imam Al-Nawawi, we heard of Imam Al-Nawawi, he never got married. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he never got married. Many scholars preferred Ulum and, and the Islamic sciences over marriage itself. In recent times, uh, maybe five years ago, uh, Shaykh Yunus Jompuri, rahimahullah, uh, he also, he did not get married, he, he passed away uh, in India. There's a Shaykh al-Hadith in Saharampur. Uh, in his janazah, there's uh, over a million people that attended. He was a great uh, muhadith of the recent past. So some people, they don't get married. These are great scholars as well. So if you feel like you cannot uphold the, the, the dictates of marriage, the ahkam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put upon us, then you don't have to. 
in the Shafi'i Madhab Imam Shafi'i actually says if someone is capable of preferring ibadah and worship over getting married, then they should do so. They shouldn't get married. According to Imam Shafi'i. According to Imam Abu Hanifa, actually he says that no, marriage is more beneficial than ibadah. Marriage is more than in the Hanafi Madhab, marriage itself is an ibadah. And this is one of the only ibadahs that will stretch into the akhirah. Generally speaking, there's no salah in the akhirah. We won't perform salah in the akhirah. We'll meet on Yom al-Jumu'ah, inshallah, but there's no, there's no salah al-Jumu'ah in, in the akhirah. Because that's taklif, or that is, that is a burden that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put on us. And there won't be any burdens in the hereafter. So there's no, there's no salah. And the dhikr that will be done, that will be like breathing. There won't be any difficulty in the dhikr. So it's not necessarily ibadah itself. That is something that's in the physics of, of Jannah itself. When people breathe, their breath will be tasbih. They'll say, subhanallah, when they breathe out, that noise will come out. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, those noises will come out. So there's no ibadah in the akhirah. However, nikah itself in the Hanafi madhab is considered an ibadah. Nikah will continue in Jannah. And that means that this is one source of rewards and ibadah that supersedes this entire realm, this universe. This is how important it is. This union that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates is extremely important. We want in, in our Jannah itself, our property of Jannah, our parents are not going to be there. They can visit, they're not going to live there. Our children are not going to be there. They can visit, they're not going to be there. Everybody's going to be the same age. You can look at your great, great, great ancestors. They'll be the same age as you. You won't be able to tell any age differences. So they'll have their own places in Jannah. But the only individual that will share your Jannah with you is your spouse. This is an extremely important union that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. So I was going off topic. I was just going to share some things. Inshallah, we'll do that next week. Of the benefits of nikah itself. I want to encourage all of those who are young. If you're too young, then you can wait, inshallah. Uh, your parents know better. But if we're on the fence, if we want to uh, engage in nikah or not, inshallah, this is highly encouraged in sharia by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we cannot use the excuse, this is not an excuse that I'm not going to get married and then we engage in haram. That's absolutely impermissible. If, if we feel desired, then the way to fulfill that in the halal manner is nikah itself. We'll talk about the different ahadith in which Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa addressed a group of youngsters about this. And so Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa wouldn't shy away from these, these types of topics. He expressed them very openly and clearly. And I'll share with you, uh, I'll share with you that hadith uh, just because we're on the topic. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa passed by a group of youngsters. He said, Ma'ashar al-shabab. Oh, group of youngsters, young men were there in the masjid. There's a group of young guys, maybe sitting in the back in the corner, laughing and joking. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa passed by. He said, Ma'ashar al-shabab. Oh, group of young, young men, young boys. Those of you who have the power, the ability, you have the desire, you have wealth as well, you have all the means to get married, do it right away. If you're at that age and you have the ability, do it right away. And those of you who cannot, but you have the desires, you have to fast. This is the, the, the command of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a continuous fasting for those who couldn't get married. So this is the, the other option. If you're not going to get married, you have to just fast all day. Almost every day as well. Some ulama say 
the best type of fast for ibadah is the Psalm of Dawood every other day. That's for ibadah. But for ilaj and for a medicine, for our desires, Nabi advised fasting every single day. It's not very easy. It's for those who refuse to get married or have, do not have the means to get married. So Nabi advised these youngsters such. In another hadith, inshallah, I'll share in more detail next week. Nabi says, those of you who have the ability to get married but do not, and those men who, you know, fathers who have children and they're ready to get married and you find a suitable spouse but you refuse to let your children get married, then you are aiding them in a great fitna and there's going to be widespread trials, tribulations, difficulties in the land because of our actions. This is a highly uh, dangerous, it's a warning actually from Rasulullah and a prophecy. That is coming true right before our eyes. We see this because we are refusing to engage in nikah, there's a lot of fitna spreading around. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq, to please Him through this beautiful institution, to uphold the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is nikah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with many things. With each blessing, there comes a responsibility. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا If you were to count the ni'mas of Allah, you wouldn't be able to do so. But whatever you can count, whatever you do understand of the ni'mas of Allah, each one has a responsibility upon you. And we have to fulfill that. Otherwise, ثُمَّ لَتُسْأَلُنَّ يَوْمَئِذٍ عَنِ النَّعِيمِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the end of Surah Al-Takathur, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, you will be questioned and asked and interrogated of every single blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon you. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq to uphold that. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq to be good to our spouses, those of us who have spouses. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who do not have spouses, who are looking to give them suitable spouses, inshaAllah.